Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I want to introduce you to George Squire this morning. Probably you've never heard his name, but George Squire lived a very storied life. Born in 1865, the year the Civil War ended, and he graduated from West Point, and he was the first West Point graduate to go on and earn a PhD, which he did in electrical engineering from John Hopkins University. And he developed many things over time. He worked with the military, and he invented the tree telephone, which we don't really remember much because communication with armies in the field advanced so quickly. Uh, He was also, here's one thing that makes him fascinating, He was the first airplane passenger. He was the first person, regardless of what you've seen on the Geico commercials, he was the one in the passenger seat fighting over the armrest. And what he's best remembered for, after his military career, in 1934, he went to work for Kodak Company. And Kodak wanted to develop a music that could be piped in to any and every situation. And so they took the word music and the word Kodak. What word did they come up with? Muzak. George Squire invented Muzak, which was piped in to the Eisenhower White House, Kennedy's Air Force One, Apollo 11, and most importantly, it was piped into Burger King, where I had my first job in 1986 and scarred me for life. So here's George Squire, highly educated, highly instrumental in many of developments and, and just, just lived an incredible storied life. In fact, you could argue that he kind of lived three lives in one. Now take him and now compare it to yourself. Two-thirds of humans on the planet right now have no idea what they're good at. Two-thirds of people walking around the planet right now have no idea. And I would think that that probably applies to the Christian population as well, that we have no idea really how God has specifically gifted us. And we look to people at the past, and we admire them. We look to people who are our contemporaries, and we envy them. Instead, what we should be doing is looking at God, looking to ourselves, and trying to have an insight into why God created you. And then once you come to that insight, to obey, to use the gifts that you've been given. This is the last teaching in our untitled teaching series, what is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? I want to end this on a very personal note. Serve. You are called to serve God in an instrumental way. The challenge is understanding what your gifts are and then obeying how God has gifted you and serving Him and serving others. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Matthew 9, first book in the New Testament, the first gospel. I'm not going to say I chose today's text by random, but I think I could have landed just about anywhere in the four gospels to draw out what I want us to talk about today, okay? And to kind of look today as we read through the Scripture, we're going to look at Jesus and we're going to kind of just look at a day in His life. What a day in the life of Jesus looked like. And from that, we're going to draw some applications. We're going to draw some things that we can pull from 
because there's two ways to learn something. You can learn something by somebody telling you, or you can see somebody model what they want to teach you. And so really we see Jesus modeling what it means to live a life of service, being available to God and being available to others. You with me? Okay, let me try that again. You with me so far? The Holy Spirit is saying, get to work, okay? Quit sitting around on your hands. Let's serve God together. Let's just go home. That's it. Done. Oh, if it were only that easy. Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 18. This is a day in the life of Jesus. While Jesus was saying this, so he's teaching, and he's in conversations with religious leaders and people that are observing him. A synagogue leader came and knelt before him. The Gospel of Luke tells us this man's name. His name was Jairus. He came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died. Can you imagine? Don't skip over that. Some of you have been there before, that you've lost a child. My daughter has just died, but come, put your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, by the way, Luke tells us that the girl was 12 years old, and this woman had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. So as long as this little girl had been alive, this woman had been sick. And if you deal with chronic pain, she'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, for she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned to her and said, take heart, daughter. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house, he saw the noisy crowd, the people playing pipes. These were professional mourners. Go away. <laughs> Some week that ought to be your life verse. Put it on your outgoing voicemail. The verse for the week is Matthew 9:24. Go away. Go away. The little girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after the crowd had been put outside, Jesus went in, took the girl by hand, and she got up. Can you imagine that? News of this spread through all the region. So a day in the life of Jesus, what does it mean to to serve? What does it mean to be available to God? What does it mean to be available to others? Here's probably the most important thing that we're going to start with today, and it's this. We have to be able to interpret the interruptions of life. Because many times, the greatest opportunities to serve first come to us in the form of an interruption. We don't want it. We didn't plan on it. It wasn't on our schedule for that day. It's a phone call that comes in. It's a person that stops us Many times the best opportunities of ministry, of serving others, comes in the form of interruptions. I hope you get that. Next time you watch the Toy Story movies, pay attention. Every character in the Toy Story movies blink only one eye at a time. Left eye, right eye, left eye. They never blink both eyes at the same time. Why do I tell you that? I don't know. I just find it interesting. But also... We need to keep our eyes open. We need to have an eye open all the time to say, what is an interruption that might just be an opportunity? I've shared with you in installments the last couple of months about a friend of mine named Jack. 
Actually, that's not his real name. I've now given, been given permission by his wife to share his real name. His real name's John. Terrible Monday, driving home from work. I just wanted to get home, said this has been a wasted day. I get a call that John is in the hospital in the ER and he needs a visit. And I come this close to saying somebody else can go or it can wait till tomorrow. But dang it, St. Francis was just literally right in front of me. Drive in, go into the ER, little curtained off area. I talk with John. I've already told you this story before. I pray for him. John has resisted Christ his whole life, even in my office two weeks before. Didn't want to talk about Jesus. I pray for him with his permission, and at amen, he will not let go of my hand. I don't know what to do. So I just stand there and hold hands with him. And then in the silence, literally about five minutes later, I said, John, has anyone ever shared the gospel with you? He said, yes. I said, do you mind if I share the gospel with you again? He said, please. And I shared the good news that God had created him and created him for a relationship. I said, John, do you want to say yes to Jesus right now? And he said, yes. And I left the hospital that day. I called my wife. I called her before the hospital, and I said, it's been a terrible day. I called her right after that, and I said, this has been the best day ever. Why? Because an interruption all of a sudden became a ministry opportunity, and John was subsequently baptized in his hospital bed in his living room, and this week we said goodbye to him at his memorial service. I shudder to think of what might have happened had I just done the easy thing and gone home. Now, eternity doesn't hang in the balance every time there's an interruption. But let me tell you what, your soul does. Your soul hangs in the balance. Because every time you sense that little prompting that this interruption is an opportunity, if you ignore it, you become a little more deaf to the voice of God. But every time you heed it, God's voice becomes a little clearer. I don't think it's ever going to be perfect. We're not always going to interpret every interruption properly, but we should be making progress, right? That's what we see in Jesus. So my challenge for you this week, you've got your schedule, you've got things planned this week, right? Am I the only one that has things planned this week? You have things planned this week, right? Okay, some of you is like, I'm going to sleep till 10.30 tomorrow morning. That's my plan. But you're going to know it this week. Something is going to intersect your path, rather someone, and all of a sudden you're going to go, this is it. This is exactly what we talked about. You're going to sense something that you can't explain. Take the interruption as an opportunity for ministry. There's something else here. Because Jesus is being interrupted by Jairus, he was teaching, Jairus interrupted him, and his interruption was interrupted. This woman now sneaks up behind Jesus. By the way, I want to give you a visual of this. We went to the Holy Land this last year, and in Magdala, never been there before, it's a little chapel, you know, you've heard of Mary of Magdala. Well, this is her hometown, they've begun to excavate it, they've built a chapel there, and in the crypt of the chapel is this fresco, it takes up an entire wall, and this picture you see just does not do justice to this entire wall of, of feet and garments. You're, you're basically seeing somebody from the calves down. And I want to zoom in on this hand right there. This is a picture of this woman interrupting Jesus. We don't see her face, but 
to touch the hem of the garment as she wanted to. You're not going to do it like this. You've literally got to get down and, and do this. And it's this moment of contact that she has with Jesus. And Jesus knows that something has happened. He's aware of that. So here's another challenge as we take interruptions as an opportunity for ministry. We must see in every person the image of God. Too often we see people based on outward appearances. We've got to see every person, please hear this, made in the image of God. Because Jairus, the synagogue leader, and this woman could not have been more different. He was clean. As a synagogue leader, he was ritually clean. Because of her bleeding issue, she was ritually unclean. Jairus was very religious. This woman here actually was a little superstitious. But here, I think, is the greatest difference. Jairus, when he learns his daughter dies, Jesus is the first stop. For this woman, Jesus is the last resort. But Jesus is going to take what he can get. You know, the Talmud, it's an interpretation of all the Jewish laws. They have 11 different cures for the issue of bleeding. She had probably tried everything twice over. And Jesus was her last resort. But Jesus wasn't looking at the outward appearance. He saw in both of them man, woman, clean, unclean, religious, superstitious, first resort, first stop, last resort. He sees in both of them the image of God, someone to be served. One of the things I remember till I die happened right out here in this corridor. I've told you about this before, but this is a picture that I will never forget. An older, dignified woman in our church coming face-to-face -face with a homeless man. She walks up to him, and she said, loud enough for me to hear, your coat is filthy. You should not be wearing that this morning. And I cringed. I thought, how dare she embarrass this person? But she took his coat off of him and said, I'm going to take this home and wash it. Let's go over to the caring center right now and get you a brand new coat, and I'll give this back to you tomorrow. She wasn't judging him. She was going mama mode on him, which I loved. And it was a beautiful picture out here of it doesn't matter what our outward appearances look like. It's seeing every person as made in the image of God. Listen, every person you encounter this week, when those interruptions come, and I pray the Holy Spirit will interpret that for you, you're going to be looking in the eyes of a person for whom Jesus died. We live in a world where people are often judged as worthless. There could not be something more anti-Christ than that. Every person is made in the image of God. Now, Jesus' day isn't over. Okay, he goes on from there. He's already raised somebody from the dead. He's healed this woman's uncleanness. He's interpreted those interruptions. It continues, verse 27. Jesus went on from there, and two blind men started following him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. Now, mercy is a word we kind of truck right by and we don't pay much attention to. One of the best definitions for mercy that I know is this. It's a practical response to an immediate need. What is mercy? It's a practical response to an immediate need. And these two men that are blind, Jesus, have 
mercy on us, son of David. Verse 28, when they had gone indoors, he pulls him inside. The blind man came to him and he said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes. He touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus had mercy. So I'm going to invite a young friend to come join me here on this platform. Luke, go ahead and come up here with me if you would. Got a chair for him. And a microphone right there, buddy. Oh, good. You brought me some snacks. I like that. I have to put those down right here. Would you all welcome Luke Williams to this platform this morning? Okay. Look, look out. Are they scary looking? Yeah. Yeah, they are, aren't they? He must tell the truth, all right? So I was emailing with Luke's parents about another matter, and they kind of clued me in as to something that he was doing as a ministry opportunity. Now, Luke, I, I stand corrected. We kind of practiced this this week. I called him 11. No, he just turned 12, okay? <laughs> just turned 12. And so, Luke, tell me about this little ministry opportunity that you're doing. Um, I am handing out homeless bags to homeless people. These homeless bags have a granola bar, a crackers, beef stick, and water, and depending on the weather, they will have socks or a beanie. Okay. Now, there's another bag here that's a little bit different. Well, tell me about this. Um, this is a dog bag if they have a dog companion with them. This dog bag has a dog toy, dog food, dog treats, and water. Okay. So you hand these out to homeless people because we, we drive around Tulsa. You come into downtown. You know you're going to encounter some people on the street. What first gave you this idea? Where did you say, hey, this is something I think I ought to do? Uh, when I was really young, my mom kept snacks in the, snacks in the car for us to snack on because we're young. But um, when my mom would see a homeless person, she would ask me, do you want to help this person? And I would say yes, and she would hand me a blanket, a water, or one of those snacks, and I would go hand it to them. And um, as I grew older, I realized what I was doing. I got a lot more invested into it. And a project that one of my teachers, Miss Barnett, started, she um, came up with the idea of the bags. Now I make them in batches and keep them in my parents' cars so that if I'm in the car, I can go get out of the car and give it to them. Or if I'm not in the car, my parents can give it to them. Okay, remember what we talked about mercy? Mercy is a practical response to an immediate need. And Luke, 11 years old, 12 years old, has had the same experience that we all do. We, we all encounter homeless people, and what I love about him, well, a couple things. Do you see how his parents model generosity? Parents, your kids are going to model their lives after you, and also, he just decided to be prepared. So, can you think of one or two experiences that you've had with a person that was meaningful to you? Um, so, when... Um so when I was younger, I was very timid about talking to street people. When you were, when you were a kid, yeah. back, back in the olden days. <laughs> exactly. Stranger <Yeah>. danger. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so this guy that I went up to, I handed him, I think it was a granola bar, but I handed it to him, and he was beyond thankful and it made me feel so joyful about what I was doing and knowing that I, that I made, a, made a change in his life that showed him people cared. That just overruns my fear, and I've never been afraid to stop, talk to a, a street person ever since. So, so what would you say to somebody? Maybe they're a little scared because 
Sometimes street people, we see them, and from our eyes, they do look scary. So what would you say to them? Um, I've personally never had a bad experience with a street person, but you also got to remember street, pe street people, nevertheless, they're people, and they are genuine people, and they are really nice, and the thankfulness that they show when you give them something because they could be hungry. They could have sat there for like six days without eating. The joyfulness of just getting a water or a granola bar or crackers, that, that, that just overruns your fear of being scared to talk to them. Okay, so I hope you heard what he just said. The street people are people. You're never going to meet somebody who's not made in the image of God. So, Luke, I'm going to say for our church, we're proud of what you're doing. And by the way, this is what we're talking about. Just, we know we're going to encounter street people, not just street people. We know some of the needs we're going to, going to encounter, so to be prepared and to be proactive. So how can we pray for you as you do your ministry? Um, I want you to pray for me that my homeless bags will mean something to the homeless people, that I'll give them hope, show them that people love them, and they'll see Jesus through me and just show that, that they're not alone in this world. Okay, let's pray for Luke right now. Father, there's a couple of ways that we learn. We learn by being told. We also learn by seeing in action. And thank you that Luke has modeled service for us this morning. Thank you that he has modeled exactly what we're talking about. Thank you that you have given him a merciful heart. And I pray that his mercy would touch the lives of others in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you appreciate Luke for me this morning? How many of you want me to be quiet and Luke just speak the rest of the time? I see it in your eyes. Yeah, okay, yeah, thank, thank you very much. I'm going to keep you here forever now. So I don't know if, if street people is your call or not, okay? It may be, it may be another need. Have mercy. Have mercy. Be ready to give a practical response to an immediate need. So there's one more thing I want us to see, and then we, we will be done. So Jesus heals the two men with blinded eyes. And in verse 32, he's coming out of the house. Again, this is just a day in the life of Jesus. As they were going out, a man was demon-possessed, and he could not talk. He was brought to Jesus. When the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Oh, but here they are, the Pharisees. It's by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. So what I want you to notice about the healing of the two blind men and the deaf mute, Jesus interpreted the healing of the blind men as a purely physical thing. They need physical healing. Yet, when it came to this deaf mute, Jesus did not see it as a physical issue. For him, he saw a spiritual issue. Here's the thing I want you to walk away with. As you live your life, read the room. As you encounter people, as you see interruptions, as you see needs, as you feel prompted for mercy, read the room. Most of us are so wrapped up with what people think of us and we're concerned about ourselves, we turn that outward, we become fully present, and we say, what is the issue that's really happening here? It may be a physical need. It may be a spiritual need. I will say this. Just about every person you meet is dealing with one of two spiritual issues. Now, everyone's dealing with a spiritual issue, but here's the two predominant, guilt 
A lot of people that you will meet, they've done something in their past that they have not been able to forgive themselves for. And that's driving some of their behavior. The other is lack of forgiveness. It's not that they haven't forgiven themselves, it's that they carry around unforgiveness with somebody else. Just be aware that the people you interact with are dealing with some very deep spiritual issues and by way of the Holy Spirit, read the room, be present, see what's going on, ask God to give you insight. What is the Holy Spirit saying to our church? Serve, make your life about other people and serving them in the name of Jesus Christ. So the Pharisees kind of have their little conflict moment, people saying, oh, this is amazing what Jesus is doing. There's a lot of different opinions. But bottom line, at the end of the day, regardless of people's opinions about Jesus, a girl was raised from the dead, a woman was made whole, two blind men saw, and a deaf mute spoke. That's a pretty good day, wouldn't you say? I'm not saying that's going to be your day tomorrow. But mercy maybe comes down to the miracle of showing kindness. I want to leave you with the last image. I want you to picture the hands of God the Father. Okay. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. I want you to imagine the picture of the hands of God the Father forming the universe. I don't know what you see, but I see some pretty big hands sculpting reality. Now, I want you to imagine in your mind's eye the hands of Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, I don't think that we can help but when we picture his hands, seeing them pierced, whether they're on the cross or they bear the wounds and the scars. So I think it's easy to picture the hands of God the Father. I think it's also easy to picture the hands of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, in your mind's eye, picture the hands of the Holy Spirit. What do you think the picture of the hands of the Holy Spirit looks like? Put your hands out in front of you with me, just like this. Now look at them. That's the hands of the Holy Spirit right there. That God's presence in our life wants us to use our hands and our feet and our eyes and our resources right here are the hands of the Holy Spirit. Use them. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Jesus, what a day. And I can imagine at the end of a day such as this, you would be exhausted and spent, but yet it would be a rewarding exhaustion that you have given, that you have stewarded your giftedness that God gave you the miracles of mercy and compassion. So Jesus, the same power that was at work in you is at work in us. The issue is many times we're just too busy to pay attention. So this week, I pray that you help us interpret the interruptions, that you would help us to see every person as made in the image of God, that you would help us to see mercy and to have mercy 
and that you would use these hands as your tools. We live in a complicated, dark world, and you have called us to love simply and to be the light of that world. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to do just that. Jesus, it is in your name that we offer our prayer. Amen. Last thing I'm going to tell you. I keep saying last thing, but then we just kind of go on and on and on and on, right? That's just the way it happens around here. Two great commands of the Bible is love God and then love others. If you try to love others without loving God, you will run dry. You have no source flowing into your life to help you love others. And we've seen it. If you try to love other people on your own, you'll get bitter, you'll get tired, you'll give up. That's why we love God first, because it feeds our ability to love other people in His name. If you don't know Christ today, if you're like Kylie and you said, I've been angry at God before, you are cut off from that source. You do not have to live that way. I would invite you today to say yes to a relationship with Christ. If you've been distant, come back. If you don't know Him, let's discover Him together today. Right now, we're going to sing and worship. I'm going to step off this platform. I'm going to go in the follow-up room. If you need to reconnect with the love of God today that will enable you to love others, let's do it. That's it, okay? So let's worship. Let's celebrate the name of Jesus. If you need to make a decision, I'll meet you right across this hall in our follow-up room here in 30 seconds. Let's go right now. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.